I'm going to start with a question. What do you think when you hear the phrase hard heart? That's really not a term that we use nowadays, right? We don't say like, oh, this person had a hard heart or forgive me for having such a hard heart. My mind jumps to the story in the Bible of the Exodus, right? And we, we know that Moses comes to the king of Egypt asking, let my people go. And it says that, that God hardened the Pharaoh's heart. So you have this image of the Pharaoh standing there and just saying no and digging his heels in. This image of stubbornness, right? When we think of a hardened heart. Now, stubbornness. Stubbornness is something that I can relate to. And let me, I know what you're thinking. You know, this Mother's Day, teaching on stubbornness. I mean, couldn't you have picked a topic more relevant for moms, right? Because clearly no moms here have ever experienced stubbornness or the patience that it requires. Yeah, I know. I'm off. But stubbornness is something that we can relate to. Frustration of dealing with somebody who's stubborn, who's maybe half your size and a quarter your age. That's something we can relate to. And all of us can recall moments when we've been the stubborn one. And our own stubbornness, our own inability or unwillingness to budge is a huge obstacle for our faith and our relationship with Jesus. In fact, the biggest obstacle, I think, between the life you have and the life God wants for you is surrender. Let me rephrase that as a question. You can kind of think of it this way. What is the biggest obstacle between the life you have and the life God wants for you? What is God calling you to surrender? You know, funny story, we, how, how many people have a word for the year? Back from the sermon series we did in January, we all have a word for the year, right? And, and so when we're preparing sermons, we're sharing notes, and I'll send them to Pastor Josh, and we have a, a team of people who give some feedback. And my word is unplug for the year. And Pastor Josh told me uh, a couple weeks ago, he's, dude, I don't know what your word is, but you need to change it to surrender. Because that's all you're talking about, and that's all you're teaching about. And he's probably right, but it's because it's true. So much of my own faith, my own willingness, or my unwillingness is attached to surrender. Today, we can, we're going to continue a series called Questions Jesus Asked. And like Pastor Josh has shared, one historian estimated that Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. These questions that Jesus asked revealed something about who he is and how he relates to us, but and they're not only questions that Jesus asked in the Gospel. These questions that we're looking to are questions that relate to us. They're questions for us today. And this week, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus asks, do you have a hard heart. And as was read earlier, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 8, if you want to turn there. And what we'll see in these 10 verses is that as we read about surrender, we're going to see that this idea of surrender would have drastically changed 
the storyline. In these 10 verses, Jesus interacts with two different groups of people. And I believe that at the crux of it all is their inability to surrender. It's their inability to let go. Their inability to trust. And when Jesus asks, do you have a hard heart? What he's kind of asking is, are you able to surrender? Are you able to let go of these things? Are you able to trust? So we start reading in in Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Where it says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got back in the boat, and he went to the other side. So let's just set up the landscape of what's going on here. This is Jesus' time in ministry. He's already called his disciples, and he's traveling back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. And he's teaching his disciples. He's performing many miracles. And he bumps into this group, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees stood in direct opposition to Jesus. But they didn't think that at the time. The Pharisees were the religious elite of the day. They were zealous for for God and to, to honor God and for his glory. They're students of the Old Testament law, upright and righteous in their own eyes. Really, they were the, the, like, like the self-appointed spokespeople of God. But that's just it. They, they studied the Old Testament. They studied the old agreement between God and his people. So when Jesus came teaching something new, when Jesus came teaching a new covenant, you can understand why these Pharisees responded the way that they did. Jesus taught that he was above the Old Testament law. Jesus was calling people to repent. Jesus was claiming to forgive sins, performing miracles, empowering his disciples to do do the same. And we read later in this passage about Jesus recalling. In the beginning of chapter 8, he had just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few small fish. In addition to The miracle we read about where he fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. So the Pharisees heard about these miracles and they looked at every opportunity to discredit Jesus' authority. And that's what they did. Mark writes in verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. There's two two things that we can see in this verse. One is that the Pharisees came ready to argue. Their hearts were hardened. They were stubborn. They were digging their heels in. Already made up their mind, came ready to argue, almost with this posture of like, convince me, Jesus. We all know someone who's like this. Someone who seems to enjoy an argument or a debate. A lot of these people live on social media. And bring out the, ugly, the, the ugliness of people, can it not? 
Sometimes these conversations are great because they challenge us. Other times these conversations can be really difficult. People who just have an ax to grind. And we may have these people in our lives who stand against our faith and our decisions. That's the sense that we get from verse 11 is that the Pharisees already had their mind made up. And in their stubbornness, they're approaching Jesus with their heels dug in and their inability and unwillingness to move. Next, we see that they're demanding a sign. And this idea of demanding is, is this sort of lack of, an, of sincerity. Knowing that they have the Old Testament in mind, they could have been thinking about the prophet Elijah and how God sent a pillar of fire from the sky. So they're saying, we've seen what you've done so far, but now show us something big. Show us something that will wow us from heaven. We see this imagery of just hardened hearts and stubbornness, almost like this impenetrable person, right? We've all come up against stubbornness before. Maybe in some ways we've been similar to the Pharisees in our own life. Demanding a sign, does that sound familiar? Have you ever required God to do something in order to earn your attention? In order to earn your worship? See, because there's a difference between asking and demanding. There's a difference between asking God in faith and demanding God in order to believe. It's asking out of belief or demanding out of unbelief. And there's a fine line between the two. But have you ever found yourself demanding God to prove himself to you? the Pharisees' stubbornness and their inability to surrender. It's what we see here in this story. And I read this passage and I see that there's a thing under the thing and it isn't so much that these people just hated Jesus, but they hated what he was asking them to do. It's the same reason that we may find ourselves stubborn in our own faith. We think, oh, like, he can't be asking me to do that. Or maybe we just leave that for someone else to obey. But they hated what, they, what Jesus was asking them to do, to let go of their tradition, all they've ever known, to give up on something they'd held on to for so long, to give up on everything that they thought to be true, and to take on his new mindset, his new understanding. At this point in the story, Mark writes that Jesus sighed. And the sigh is just grieving over the hearts of the Pharisees. It was less about Jesus being disappointed and more about him just feeling heartbroken. So the story says, he just leaves them. 
He knows the Pharisees have heard the things he said and seen the miracles he'd performed. And in a way, he's saying, I don't need to prove anything to you. He's saying to them before he leaves them, like, if you don't believe now in your stubbornness and in your hard heart, you're never going to believe. And then I find this part of the story just really interesting, that Jesus just leaves them. But the truth is, God doesn't have to do anything more or prove anything more in order to earn our worship or our attention. And he knows that. The Pharisees were unwilling to surrender their pride. They were unwilling to surrender their unbelief. In their stubbornness, they were digging their heels in. And this was the biggest obstacle between the life they had and the life God wanted for them. So, I read this story, and I look at the Pharisees, and I think, well, that's not me. They're not me. I'm a follower of Jesus. Clearly, my heart isn't hardened. I'm not arguing. Jesus isn't getting in a boat and leaving me. I'm good. I'm serving at church. I'm spending time in the Word. Here's where this message really hits home. Is when we read this story, Jesus doesn't ask the Pharisees if their heart is hardened. He gets in a boat and he leaves. He asks the question to his followers. To his disciples. He's asking that question to me, not the people we're pointing fingers at for their stubbornness. As we read on in verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. So it, it blows my mind that, that they have this abundance of food and miraculous abundance of food, and it just happens to slip their mind to grab a loaf for their trip. But then it says, Jesus gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of Herod. He's using bread and leaven and yeast and how it, how it grows, how it, how it affects loaves of bread. He's using that as an object lesson. They're talking about bread. He uses that as an object lesson. They just saw him interact with the Pharisees. He's using that as an object lesson. He's saying, watch out. But they were just discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. So aware of this, he said, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? See, in my mind, I, I think of hardened hearts and I think of stubbornness. Then I read this story and I look at the Pharisees and just their inability to budge and their inability to change, their inability to embrace what Jesus came to give. And it's so easy for me to point the finger. 
But Jesus doesn't question the Pharisees' hearts. He uses that interaction as an object lesson, a spiritual object lesson on the effects of unbelief. Talking about yeast or, or leaven. But the disciples aren't concerned with spiritual matters. Their minds are honed in on physical need. Amazingly, after watching these two miracles, and Jesus knows it because he reminds them of it, but their, their, their minds are worried about food and what they're going to eat. So Jesus says, do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Do you remember? Don't you remember? It's in a way, I read these and I'm, I think of Jesus just kind of saying like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But then I think like, how many times would Jesus say that to me? This is where the passage and the question of heart and heart really started to hit home for me. So what's interesting is that the original text, the translation of this idea of hardened was like, is like um, being petrified. You know, sometimes when we think of a uh, hardened heart, we think of like heart, heart of stone, you know, and it just impenetrable and just never going to beat, never did beat sort of thing. But when Jesus asked this of his disciples, the word he used for hardened heart had this idea of being petrified. And if you've seen like something that's petrified. You can tell that it was alive at one point. You can tell that it was organic at one point. You look at a petrified heart. You don't look at it and you say, that heart will never beat and it never had. Jesus is asking this, like, when did it stop? When did it stop beating? When did it become petrified? Did you forget about those thousands of people that I just fed? For each one of us in this room, you could fill in the blank there. When we find ourselves just struggling with unbelief or like a lack of faith, we all know what we'd put in that blank. If Jesus said, hey, Chris, what about this? Don't you remember He's talking to his people, to his followers. He's talking to you and I. He's recalling the miracles that he performed in verses 19 to 21. But then he asked them, like, why is your heart petrified? How many... How many Loaves were left over. You want to talk about bread? How many loaves were left over after I fed 5,000? 12. How many loaves were left over after I fed 4,000 people? Seven, they said. He said, don't you understand? Here he's, he's speaking with the, the Pharisees who are just in direct opposition and just so dug into their own unbelief and their unwillingness to budge. Their stubbornness. Jesus is saying, like, watch out. Watch out for that sort of unbelief. And then moments later, 
how easy it is to forget. I mean, we can all relate to that, right? I mean, you get in the middle of a storm in your life. You get in the middle of something where you don't know. You can't add it up. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from, and that's legit. But Jesus reminds them, how has your heart been petrified? When did your heart become so petrified? Does your heart look like a shell of what it could be? In your own faith. And is he saying, don't you remember? Or when will you learn? Because that's the beauty of God. Is that what this message shows us is, is when asking if we have hardened hearts, He's not just trying to knock us out of stubbornness or unwillingness. He's trying to walk us into life. He's trying to take that petrified heart and make it beat again. Jesus came to give life. Jesus came to make your heart, to give you the opportunity for your heart to beat for him. So when we ask, do you have a hardened heart? Or when we think of, do you have a hardened heart? He's not talking about the other people. He's talking to each one of us. And he's reminding us. Do you remember that moment that God captured your heart? A few weeks ago, we celebrated baptism. We're going to have some more baptisms coming up too. And that's just... It's just an awesome outward symbol of a heart captured by Jesus, a decision to follow Jesus. Do you remember that moment in your life? Or maybe it wasn't just, for me, it was a bunch of moments, some bigger than others for sure. But it was a bunch of moments where I recall God just capturing my heart, transforming my heart, rescuing me from my own brokenness. I can remember that moment that God breathed life into my heart that would otherwise be held captive. Do you remember? Do you remember that moment? Do you understand what was done for you in that moment? Because what I see in this passage is, even in our own lives, that surrender changes so much of the storyline. So the question is, what do we need to surrender? What do we need to let go of? In the Pharisees' case, it was tradition and all they've ever known. In the disciples' case, it was worry. Maybe even a lack of understanding of who Jesus was, what he's capable of doing, what he came to do. So the question is, what do we need to surrender so that God can start some spiritual CPR on our petrified hearts. That's the challenge of the question. It's not, are you stubborn? It's like, where has your heart stopped beating for the Lord? 
What do we need to surrender so that God can start some spiritual CPR on our petrified hearts? How does this happen? Jesus explains it as a change in perspective. Look at what he says a little later in Mark 8, verses 34 and 35. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, once again, there's the people that were around him. He said this, which is kind of like the gospel in a nutshell. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. This is what the gospel came to do, to transform to transform our perspective and to transform our hearts. And in this verse, you'll see, very, you'll see three directives. Very intentional, direct words. Deny, take up, and follow. And I know some people are going to be thinking like, what we're holding on to, maybe those things that God is calling us to release of those things that, that may have captured our heart and our attention and our worship, those things that draw us away from who God wants us to be and the life that God is calling us into. But this is such an easy sermon to preach because there's nobody in this room, at least no one in this room who's a follower of Jesus is sitting there saying, no, I'm good. I'm good. I got this figured out. There are things that are constantly contending for our faith and for our worship. So the question is, what am I holding on to that I need to surrender to God? What's getting in the way? What's causing unbelief? What's, what's attracting my worship more than the only one worthy of it? What's stealing your heart? Like the Pharisees, is it pride? Like the disciples, is it just worry, doubt, addiction, hate, unbelief? Those are broad categories, but we can think of what fits underneath those. Has my heart become petrified in unbelief? Like the Pharisees, just in tradition like the disciples in worry. What am I not trusting God with? Health is a big thing there. What in my life am, am I holding on to too tightly? What am I not willing to let go of? Reputation? Are we ashamed? Right, so easier said than done, right? Right? We start thinking of these things. Easier said than done. Because there's discomfort that comes along with those three directives, right? Take up your cross. But each one of us has a place to start. Each one of us can think of something that has caused our hearts 
to become petrified. Each of us can think of something that's contending with our faith, that's contending with our relationship. And that one that that keeps popping up is the one you have to stare at the most. There's a start for each one of us. Maybe this morning it's just the decision to follow Jesus and get baptized. Maybe that's the, your next step. Maybe it's finding support in relationships, joining a community group. Each one of us has a next step when we think of that one thing that's contending for our faith and contending for our worship. And each one of us can take a step. I understand that some of these things that we may have to work through aren't easy, but that's the beauty of what God has provided in the church and in his word and in his spirit. He's just asking you to trust and remember and move forward into that. What is God calling you to let go of in order for your hardened, petrified heart to beat and live for him again? Because the biggest obstacle between the life you have and the life God wants for you is surrender. How is God calling you to let go? As the band comes up and we, and we wrap up, I want us to just sort of pause on that. Just take our mind away from this question. Do you have a hard heart? Take it away from this sense of, of just stubbornness. And think of it a step beyond that. Think of it as, as, as not just no longer digging my heels in, but taking a step forward. A step towards letting your heart beat for God again. So how is God calling you to let go? What is he calling you to let go of. I'm sure plenty of us here this morning could name that thing. What parts of your faith have become hardened? What was once alive but now petrified? I'm so excited for the, the next series we're going to be jumping into in a couple weeks through the summertime. It's just going to be going through spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, just ways that we can Build into our lifestyle so that our hearts keep beating. Can we use this moment before the band leads us in our final song just to, to confess those things? To repent of those things. Before the Lord and it's, it's to turn towards him willing to take up our cross, willing to endure, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, willing to follow. Is your hard heart keeping you from doing something that God wants you to do? Is your hard heart keeping you from hearing something that God wants you to hear? And what is he calling you to remember? And he says, don't you remember? 
And as we sing this song, just be reminded that we're not alone. That we have hope in the midst of surrender. That God meets us where we're at and surrounds us with his grace, his power, his love, and his hope. Let's stand together and take a moment to reflect.